I absolutely love those. Those are great. Uh, last week, Pastor John kicked off our series, Resolutions. Resolutions, of course, are commitments uh, we make to change how we live, and it's common uh, to make them at the beginning of a year because as another year approaches, uh, we tend to take a life inventory, and resolutions are attempts to improve ourselves. But what if resolutions were more than just attempts to improve ourselves? What if God was really interested in our resolutions. Now, I'm going to ask something that um, John asked the first service last week, but I don't think he asked the second service last week. Um, how many of you made a resolution for this year? Just raise your hand if... Now, I got to put my hand on because I didn't, but keep yours up. I just want to take a look. Okay, not a whole lot of us, okay, made a resolution. Um, but what if God cared whether or not we made a resolution? If you made one, what if God was really excited about it? Or if you're like me and you didn't make one, what if God was a little saddened by that? You see, God is interested in every part of your life. God is interested in every part of your life. Resolutions are an attempt to make our lives better, and God is interested in making our lives better too. And so what if our resolutions weren't just about self-improvement, but were about becoming more like Jesus, our creator? God's interested in every part of our lives. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Last week, Pastor John shared the statistic that People who make resolutions, 90% of those resolutions deal with our health, losing weight, that kind of stuff, or deal with our finances, saving money, that kind of stuff. And he also shared that 80% um, of people who make resolutions have quit by February 1st. And um, why do people, I would assume, because it's hard to keep a resolution. And so in a month in, we're done. Which explains, in my mind, why most of us don't even make them. If I'm going to fail, why even bother trying? But God is interested in every part of your life, and that doesn't mean that God the judge is looking for something to condemn you for, like if you didn't make a resolution, you're made when you failed, that God is wanting to put the guilt trip on you. But it's more like, you know, for those of us who are parents, it really doesn't matter what age our kids are. When we see our kids grow and learn and improve, what does that do to us as parents? Or teachers, when you see your students learn, what does that do to you? Or if any of you have ever tried to teach anyone anything and then they actually start to get it, what does that do to you? We get excited when that kind of stuff happens. You know, I'll never forget the first quarter of my junior year of high school. Um, I had taken two years of Spanish already, and so I was taking a third year of Spanish, and for whatever reason, I don't know what I was doing in those first two years of Spanish, but year three, I was completely lost, lost my junior year in Spanish. Um, it was light years ahead of me. And as the first quarter came to an end, it was very clear I was gonna fail the first quarter of my junior year of high school Spanish. 
But at the same time, I can honestly say, I was learning all sorts of stuff. And so I told my teacher, Mrs. Otto, I said, you know, I know that I'm probably going to fail this quarter, but I just want to let you know that I am learning more Spanish uh, than I really ever have. And my first quarter grade came in, I got an F. Got an F. Failed first quarter Spanish of my junior year of high school. I was living with my older sister at the time, and so she was going to the parent-teacher conferences, and I was really nervous what Mrs. Otto was going to tell her, because I failed her class in the first quarter. My sister came home, and she said to me, your Spanish teacher loves you. I was like, my Spanish teacher loves me? What? Is, what? And she, my sister said, um, she's really excited about everything you are learning. Now, I was an F student, but because I was learning, my teacher was really excited for me, and she had a vested interest in me. And so I kept learning, and I was able to get my semester grade up so I would pass, and then the next semester I was able to pass, and I was um, uh, thinking about this story, and, and there was something I had forgotten. Uh, and so last night, I went into my basement and dug through some old boxes uh, because uh, four and a half years later, in, as, towards the end of my third year in college, the college I was going to at the time, something that every department of the college would do is they would pick two students, one male student, one female student, and they would recognize those students for outstanding work in that department, outstanding academic work. And one of the departments gave me one of those awards. And I found it in my box in my basement uh, last night. And it's an academic excellence award in foreign languages. <laughs> what I think is really cool about that isn't that I, have the, that I ha got the reward, I still have it. That's kind of sad, actually. Um, <laughs> but somebody was actively interested in a part of my life. And because somebody was actively interested in a part of my life, I kept going, even though I literally failed. God isn't just watching to see how you do in life. God is actively interested in you getting better. He has a vested interest in you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And so God has a vested interest in our hearts and our souls and our lives. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every aspect of our lives matters to God. And remember, God is a God of grace. So it's never too late to start. You're not too old to start. And it's okay if you fail. You also don't have to fix it all. Just improve one piece. Again, the two most common resolutions Pastor John shared last week are health and finances. Both of those are resolutions about getting our lives in order. If you don't bring more order to what you eat or how you exercise, your health really isn't going to get any better. If you don't bring more order to managing your finances, your financial situation is probably not going to get any better. And God is a God of order. 
And so when we pursue order, we become more like him. And God is also, he's not just watching us, he is actively trying to bring order to our lives. And so when we pursue bringing more order to our lives, we literally join God in the work that he's trying to do in us. And so what is out of order in your life? Or what in your life could use a little more order? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Our scripture reader for this morning is Brian Rice. And so, Brian, uh, please go ahead and make your way up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. We stand because we believe that this is the word of God, and we read from the center of the room as a reminder to us that scripture is to be central to us, both as uh, individuals and as a community of faith. And so, Brian, whenever you are ready, please read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let there be water under the sky, or let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Brian, thank you very much. You may be seated. The creation account, the story of creation, is an account of God bringing order to chaos. God is a God of order, and when we pursue order, we become more like him. And from the very beginning, we see that God is about bringing order to chaos. And the earth is in chaos at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. The earth is formless. The earth is empty. The earth is dark. And it's easy to look over or skip over that part of the creation account that the earth was formless and empty and dark. But from the very beginning, God works with chaos. God doesn't just work with the neat and the tidy and the clean. As it says in verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I just want to highlight the two things that are causing the chaos, according to verse 2. It's the darkness and the deep waters. And all of us, we have chaos in our lives. And just as the Spirit of God was hovering in the darkness over the waters, the Spirit of God is close to us in our chaos. But God just doesn't hover over our chaos. God acts upon it. 
And just like in the creation account, God acts in a systematic way to bring order to it. See, in the creation account, God creates spaces. In verses 3 to 5, the spaces he creates are day and night. God deals with the darkness first and creates day and night. As it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God in this, he's not just ordering light and dark. But he's also creating a space that orders time. There are certain things that will happen during the day. There are certain things that will happen during the night. And both light and darkness serve a purpose. Both day and night serve a purpose. But you need to separate them to create the right space for each. In verses 6 to 8, God creates the sky. As it says, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault that separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. First God deals with the darkness. And now God deals with the water. His first separation of water is to separate the water under from the water above and the space we call sky. And it separates the things above from the things below. And then in verses 9 and 10, God creates the land and the seas. And this is the second ordering of the water. He now separates the water to one place, dry ground appears, and now you have land spaces and sea spaces. As it says, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So the two things that caused the chaos, darkness and deep water, you'll notice that God doesn't just get rid of them. He simply orders them. Now, sometimes there are things in our lives that cause chaos that have to be eliminated. And Pastor John's going to talk about those things next week. But sometimes the things in our lives that cause chaos don't necessarily have to be eliminated. They need to be ordered. And so what are some spaces in your life that you need to create to bring some much-needed order to your chaos? But then after God creates the spaces, he fills the spaces. Interestingly enough, in the order that he created the spaces is the order in which he fills the spaces. Um, now, I'm not going to put the entire verses up for God filling the spaces on the screen. But if you grabbed an outline, uh, they are listed in the For Further Study section uh, under the Bible Studies tool in the outline if you happen to grab one. But verses 14 to 19, um, lights are... God fills space with lights to govern the day and night. The day and night space, he fills it with lights to govern them. 
So, sun, moon, stars, they are not just pretty lights in space, but they are designed to govern time. The sun and moon govern the day and night, and the stars mark the seasons. And then in verses 20 to 23, he puts animals in the sea and the sky. God created the sky before the land, and so God fills the sky with birds, and then he fills the sea with sea creatures. And then in verses 24 and 25, God puts animals on the land. Land was the last space created, and so it's the last one filled. So God fills all of these spaces that he creates. And so what are some spaces in your life that you need to fill to bring some much-needed order? And then lastly, in verses 26 and 27, God places humanity, humans, to rule over all. Humanity is not just another creation. We are made in God's image with a responsibility none of the other creation has. We are to rule over it. Now that does not mean that we can do whatever we want to it. But our role in creation is ordered. We are to participate in God's creation. We have an active role in what God is doing in creation. And so God takes the chaos of the darkness and the emptiness and he orders it into something good likewise. God wants to take our darkness and our emptiness and order it into something good. But just like creation, God gives us an active role in his work. God is trying to bring order into our lives, yet he expects us to participate. And so anytime that we work to bring order into our lives, God is pleased. Now, some of us really struggle with order. For example, I'm not an orderly person by nature. Trust me, this message is really challenging to me as much as anyone. Just go to my office, take a look, you'll understand what I'm talking about, okay? Um, But there are others of us that have a different problem. And that problem is we have too much order. And we become control freaks. Yes? And it's important to point out from the creation story that God, the creator, when God is done creating, he hands some of the control over creation to us. Now, make no mistake, God's in charge. He is all-powerful, but God is not a control freak. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so, again, so when we pursue order to become more like the creator, we become more like the creator. But sometimes, when we release control, when it's appropriate to do so, we become more like the creator too. And again, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So we are called to control ourselves. We are not necessarily called to control everyone else or everything else. But many times... We find ourselves spending an itsy-bitsy little bit of time trying to control ourselves and lots of time trying to control events and circumstances and other people. And we get it backwards, what we are called to do. So where in your life 
do you need to take control? And where in your life do you need to release control? Because when we do both of these things in proper order, we become more like our creator. And the good news is that Jesus comes as our shepherd to guide us through the chaos. He comes as our shepherd to guide us through the chaos. This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps message. That's not what this is about. God is not waiting for us to get our act together before he becomes interested in us. No, God comes to us in our chaos to guide us through it. You know, a theme in the Old Testament that you can see over and over and over again is this whole idea as God as shepherd. Psalm 23, a psalm many of you are very familiar with, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the Lord leads and guides and refreshes and comforts And God takes us to green pastures and quiet waters and right paths. But we can even walk through the darkest valley or through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear because the Lord is with us. And Jesus picks up on this shepherding theme. In Mark chapter 6, where it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Jesus just didn't teach because he liked to hear himself talk. Jesus saw the people trying to make it through life without a guide. And like a sheep without a shepherd they were. And it was out of compassion that he taught them. And it's his compassion for us that makes him passionate about us. As we see in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Jesus comes to give us a full life. Our lives mean so much to him that he laid down his life for us. And so Jesus comes to us to guide us. Not as an angry, disappointed God, but as a compassionate shepherd with a vested interest in us. Uh, My daughter just got her driving permit this past week. And so part of that process is it's something called a parent drive. And what that's about is it's, so the student drives and the instructor, his name was Ray, he's in the shotgun seat. And then the parent, in this case, my wife and I uh, talked about it, discussed it, negotiated, and so I rode in the back seat. Um, and, um, and again, what was amazing to me, again, the instructor's name is Ray, was 
how amazingly calm and patient he was. Now, my daughter did a good job driving. She really did. But again, it's, you know, they're learning. They're not going to do everything right. And um, if I was riding shotgun, I would not have been nearly as calm and patient as Ray was, okay? If it would have been me teaching, the instruction would have sounded something like, uh, there's a car there, don't merge, don't merge, don't merge! What are you slowing down for? He's letting you in, he's letting you in, he's letting you in! The light, it might turn yellow, it's turning yellow, yellow light! That wasn't how Ray was at all. And I'm not exaggerating. This is how Ray guided my daughter. When you merge, make sure you check over your shoulder to make sure another car isn't there. When you merge into the other lane, don't slow down if the car is letting you in. What is a stale green light? It's a light that's been green for five seconds or more. Be ready in case it turns yellow. He was calm, systematic, and yet he didn't miss a thing. He was passionate about guiding her in her driving. And any time he got a chance to teach her, he would teach her. He would point something out. He was doing it the whole time. And at the end of the drive, he was giving her yet another set of points to remember. And I remember thinking in the back seat, okay, I think we've had enough now. We can be done anytime you want to be done. But then he said this to my daughter. He says, now I tell you these things because I want you to be a three million mile driver. Three million miles without a ticket or an accident. I've taught thousands of kids how to drive. And as far as I know, only three of them have died in a car accident. Now, only three of his students died in a car accident. I would call that a pretty good record. But then I realized something. How can you be a driving instructor, teaching kids how to drive, and then you learn that one of them dies in a car accident while they were driving? How can that happen? And even if it's not your fault, not feel the weight of that. You can't. Ray had to feel the weight of those three kids who died, even though it wasn't his fault. He wasn't just teaching kids how to drive. He was teaching them how to survive, how to not get killed while driving. And he was passionate about it. However, he could only teach them so much. They had to listen to what he was saying. But every kid that he taught could learn how to be a good driver as long as they were alive, if they chose to listen to what he taught them. And so as long as Ray had his kids in his care, he was going to guide them as much as possible because in his mind, their lives depended upon it. And he was going to guide them in a way that he thought would help them listen and learn the best. Look, the creator who brought order to chaos, God who created the whole world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky, the seas, the land, 
the birds, the fish, the animals, is still at work in you to mold you in his image. And we are called to bring him glory. Everything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, can be for his glory. And Jesus comes to guide us in the ways of our creator. And so when we resolve to bring order to our lives, we become more like him. When in the power of the Spirit, we exercise self-control, we become more like him. When we sacrifice, suffer, submit, we become more like him. And when we say, because God is like that, I want to be like that, or because Jesus is like that, I want to be like that, I believe God smiles. And so Jesus comes to us. And he comes to guide and encourage and teach. And he will never abandon us. No matter how many times we fail, we should never give up. Jesus wants us to leave our failures in the past where they belong. Because Jesus is here to forgive us and to encourage us. And as long as we are under his care, he is going to guide us. And so every time we make a resolution to bring some order to our lives, whether it's about our health or about our finances or something else in our lives, we are following Jesus' guidance and joining him in his work to bring fullness to our lives. Please pray with me. And Lord, again, we thank you that you cared about us so much, that you were so passionate about us, that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we may have forgiveness, so that failure would not be the last word in our lives. And so, Lord, I would just ask that you'd impress upon each one of us how it is you are working in our lives and how it is you want us to join us, join you, in what you are doing in and through us. Lord, we thank you and we love you and it's in the name of Jesus our Savior we pray. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.